broadcasting from an undisclosed location, from a secret hunting spot known only to him, and the guy who told him about it, and possibly the guy who told the guy who told him. It's a show all about hunting in New Zealand and around the globe. This is The Hunting Show. Find The Hunting Show on Facebook and Twitter for up-to-date information on upcoming shows and topics. So this week's show is a little bit unusual. I'm joined by Skype with Ron Bain. Now, he has a podcast in the United States called The Hunting Dog Podcast. He recently got in contact with me and wanted just to catch up and talk about hunting in the two different countries, what he does, a little bit about what I do. In theory, he's interviewing me, but... um, Uh, The radio personality in me finds that very difficult. So we're going to see how this goes. Ron, how are you going? I'm doing really good. I'm doing really good. I I really enjoyed your podcast. I've been podcast surfing quite a bit as long with, you know, I think that's probably an addiction that comes with when you start one. (laughs) I I keep checking my Libsyn ratings and I check my iTunes ratings. And when I see other podcasts up there, I, I feel compelled to listen to them and, uh, so I've listened to a few of yours, and I, I'll probably be listening to the rest of them on my next drive. They're uh, they're they're not long enough, but that's okay. I, I I go an hour, you go about a half an hour. Yeah, the the interesting thing is, is I, I've debated extending the show into a, a, a full hour show, and I wonder, do people really want to hear me gas bag on? for another thirty <laughs> minutes, realistically, or is half an hour just enough to keep you interested? I don't know. I think I think a half an hour is probably a good time if you like you knew your guest and you knew everything you were going to cover. Yeah. But sometimes you could just get into some good. I notice you always ask for some good hunting stories, mm. and some of your guests they can't come up with something. And <laughs> I'm sure that guest you don't want on for another thirty minutes because he's not adding a whole lot to the plate. But do you know the funny thing is is all my guests are prepped. They all know I'm going to ask that question, and I think I think they think I'm lying. I. Don't... <laughs> I think when I say, oh, you know, have you got a good hunting story? They're like, oh, shit, that's right. He was going to ask me that. Or they had one and it was all prepared and it just, boof, gone, you know? Right, right. I know. I I, I interviewed, we're going to kind of digress here, but I interviewed a 93-year-old gentleman that hunted with me from World War II, and his name is Colonel Jack Patton of oh, the Patton family. Yep. And when I asked him for a couple hunting stories, he goes, well, you you didn't tell me you were going to ask me any stories. <laughs> and this guy can go on about anything, you know. And so, but anyway, for the hour, half hour, however we do this, uh, if you can run longer, that's fine. If we run 30 minutes, it's fine. That's absolutely fine. So, I've actually got no problem running longer if it's flowing well and it's a good interview. Last week's show, or last week's bonus show, if you have a look through your iTunes um and or if you're listening on Stitcher or iHeartRadio, however anyone's listening out there, you'll see a bonus show. And it was me and uh, and the guys from Rabbit Ranger just ha- or Christian from Rabbit Ranger just having a yak about some anti-hunting uh, tweets that we found online. And the funny yeah. thing was, Christian got all prepared, and just before the show, he's like, "Oh, oh, oh, oh I don't have it with me," you know. So um, we were a bit. <laughs> A bit fly-by-wire, but it was a very, very cool interview. So tell us a little bit about your background, first of all. Is it Ronald well, or Ron? What, what do you... Well, everybody calls me Ron or Ronnie, but Ron, Ron. most people call me Ron. Okay, so um, what's your background? My background is uh, I started basically for some reason trying to take any kind of flying object out of, a sky, out of the sky when I was a kid. Yeah. It was a slingshot was my first weapon. And they got that taken away several times, and I would just go up and buy another one. And then BB guns came, and every songbird in the neighborhood in Chicago was starting to die. So I, I had kind of one of those, I was kind of like a little city derelict kid 
but everything was about hunting. It had to be about hunting. I even tried eating some robins and um, anything I could shoot. Um, I moved. Uh, I moved out to Michigan in my twenties and really got into into some bird hunting. And that's when it kind of really hit me hard. I, uh, I've got a, uh, I got a, my first dog, which was absolutely no good whatsoever. Never pointed anything I could eat. <laughs> yeah. I don't eat raccoon, and that's the only thing it would point. But I had some good friends I met here, and we started hunt, hunting a lot of grouse and woodcock here. And, uh, boy, I mean, I'm kind of – I don't jump into everything with both feet, but I've jumped into hunting and dogs with both feet. So consequently, a few years later, I, I got involved with a group called North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association. And it's very much like they do in Europe. They, they test their dogs by a comparative system as opposed to competitive. So there's no first, second, and third place ribbons. It's a standard your dog is judged to. And at the end of the day, the judges say, here's where your dog's at. You might want to work on this or, hey, you got a good all-rounded dog. Don't worry if he doesn't fetch good. He, he fetched good enough to pass the test. And I really like that, that comparative system so much. I fast forward a few more years. I, I applied to be an apprentice judge with the system. That took a couple years. And now, besides, I'm self-employed, but um, most of my free weekends out of hunting season are traveling around the United States. And I'm a senior judge for that organization. Um, and then you just keep meeting more people and get more invites to go bird hunting and, and, and big game hunting. I'm not much of a big game hunter, but I've, I've taken a few deer, uh, a couple caribou and a black bear. But I, when it comes to stories, I only have good stories about bird hunting probably. But um, so, yeah, that, I, that's how I kind of got going. And I, I've had uh, German short air pointers and German wire hair pointers in the past. And I don't know if you've ever heard of a dog called a Bracco Italiano. No, not at all. Very, uh, very rare dog from Italy. It's getting a little more popular up in the UK and the Netherlands. And uh, there's about 300 of them here in the country. And I've got, well, actually, there's 293, and I own seven, the other seven. Right. And, and I breed them and uh, train them and test them and uh, and do some promotion for that, or you know, for that club, our, our dog club. But... So, yeah, I, I pretty much any kind of time I have, even when I travel, I almost always travel with my dogs. I have external and internal dog crates for my vehicles and uh, opens a lot of doors for me. Look, I have to be perfectly honest here and say that hunting with dogs is something very, very foreign to me. I've done a little bit of pig hunting with other people with dogs. I don't own a dog. I've got three chickens that's <laughs> um, and a couple of cats running around the house, but... I think the people that do hunt with dogs, and I'd like you to your opinion on this, surely it's a real passion for you, isn't it? Not only is it the hunting, but it's, it's the animal that you're with. And I'd like to, to explore with you a little bit about that attachment um, because the, the guys that I know that hunt religiously with, with dogs, either for deer or pigs in this country, uh, the, hmm. these guys are their mates. You know, they're, not just a, they're not just a workhorse, are they? No, no. I think it used to be that way a lot more. And in the States... Uh, there's even an unbelievable amount of husband and wife teams that are hunting now pretty much because of the dogs. Right. Uh, they, they, the husband kind of begs her to get a dog. She falls in love with it. You know, the kids moved out of the house and she says, well, I'm coming with you to start training and hunting with the dog. And yeah, I'd say for the most part, any, anybody with the upland bird dogs is probably a combination of a house dog, super pet lover, 
probably has several dogs and cats. I used to have chickens, don't anymore. <laughs> but um, the only group I would say is probably a little different is the hound group. Right. Which that's probably what they they pig hunt more with hounds, right? In in New Zealand. No, nah, pig dogs. They're they're kind of a crossbred. Yeah, no, we don't. They're not a hound as such, but they're they're similar size, I'd imagine. Okay. It, mm. So are people? Will you see a truck going on a road with a like what we call a dog box in it, and you exactly. know that they're okay? Yeah. There's so there's they, probably I live in the central North Island in New Zealand, and uh, next to a place called Lake Taupo, a big lake called Lake Taupo. And the interesting thing about it is that there's probably not a Hilux that runs around town that doesn't have a dog box on it. So I'm in the minority yeah. probably when it comes to dog ownership over here. Right, mm. and you know our <clears throat> the nice thing about upland birds is our hunting opportunities across across this country are are really really vast if all you want to do is small game hunt. Right. Um rabbit hunting, goose hunting, duck hunting, all the uplands, grouse, pheasant, um you really don't there's no permit draw. I guess it's probably as close as we get to New Zealand because you told me before the before we started this that you do not need a hunting license. No, in on, New Zealand, not on public land. You you go online, you get a free permit, and and you're away. Yeah. So it's nothing like yeah. uh, w- what you have mm-hmm. there. But certainly for game bird like uh, like duck shooting, that's the only right. exception to that rule. So we're probably almost the other way around. Is that your take right. on it? Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. And see, our <clears throat> our big game hunting is very very regulated from state to state. There, there's a few states where you could go and get an over-the-counter, what we call over-the-counter deer license, but it's only going to be in a state that probably has so much acreage that you're not even going to have a good time. You're going to have a hard time finding that deer. Yeah. When you want to go to the good areas, everybody likes to go out west. Um, to get an over-the-counter in a good area, a lot of people apply for years. Like for an elk license, an elk would be close to your stag, right? With the we do have uh, Roosevelt elk here. Uh, and, oh, you do have. Yeah, okay. and they're the only balloted species um, in the South Island. Yeah, Wapiti is the is what we call them. So yeah, Wapiti we have in the South Island. Um, so yeah, to get an elk in this country, if if you're not a resident of a state that has elk in it, you're you're just you could get lucky, but it's really tough. It's mm. really tough. Um, and again, if we go up to Canada, we have to have a guide to do it, which, and if you go to a guy, I don't like to go to guides for big game just because I've got some friends that can help me go in that direction when I want to. Um, it's almost prohibitive, prohibitively expensive to go with a guide, unless it's something you've been saving up for, for a long, long time. We're talking, I don't know what the exchange rate is, or are you guys on the dollar, the pound? What do you uh, guys The dollar. On? We're on the dollar. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be seven okay. shillings sir. yeah no no we're definitely on the dollar <laughs> so anyway it could cost you upwards of you know four to five thousand dollars to go take a big game animal with a guide well this month's show or sorry not this month's but last week's show was with some guys a guide from canada very much that we met in topo here and went out for a coffee and recorded a show i don't know if you've had a chance to listen to that but very much talking about the regulations in canada and what has to happen and you're quite right you do you basically need to go with a guide don't you right right and 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 of course you know that that comes with a obviously a guy can't make his living 
for three months a year without charging a good price for everything he does and all his gear and his mm -hmm. horses and four wheelers and all the stuff they use up there. Um, so that's, that's just, that never really attracted me that much. Um, so it, and the real difference here, Ron, is that you could actually, you can one, bring your firearm with you, providing that it's uh, not contraband here, so it's a firearm that's legal in this country. You can bring that through. You can, at the airport, show your U.S. firearms permit, and they will issue you a New Zealand license, and you can walk off the plane, um, spend two minutes on the internet, download a, a permit, and that's really about just knowing and understanding who's taking what, and uh, walk into the bush. Wow. Any time of the year. Yeah. We're very, very lucky. And so, so there's no area that you could, uh, you would, act, not saying you wouldn't need a guide. It would be helpful to have somebody yeah. familiar with it. But you could just strike out on your own and go. And plenty of people do. The, the difference is, I think, is, is and, and, and because this podcast is going to be airing on your side as of the Pacific Ocean as well. Yeah. Well, so does mine, but yours is really pushing that way, is that if you come to New Zealand without a guide, I think you're going to have not as good a time. That's right. really what it is. You can go out hunting, and if you're very experienced, you might see something. But the the thing about going with a guide is you'll probably go into private land. You'll probably be helicoptered in. Um, mm -hmm. Your experience is going to be that little bit more enjoyable. And what I recommend, and some guides are going to get really angry with me for saying this, is actually come over here, find a good guide online, even listen to my show, and, and there's some right. guides that we feature. but. And then maybe go out with a guide for the first half and then venture out on your own if you feel confident. Because the bush over here is gnarly, man. I mean, you, you talked about seeing some, some of the, the footage online of what you saw yeah. over here. She's, she's not flat. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know if the whole darn island's that way. or <laughs> We have got a few know. islands, but, yeah, no, we're pretty. It's, it, the contour lines are close together, put it that way. So when I look at my topo map, I'm going to say, don't go down that side of the mountain. Then, yeah, probably. I'd just say, you probably say, don't go there. <laughs> don't, yeah. And see, we, it's, it's honestly, to, to hunt here in the States, um, you, could, you could take it as easy or as difficult as you want to. Yeah. You could go into uh, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming. You can, go, you can backpack, you can stop on a road, put your backpack on, and, and just strike out. And you could do that for small game or large game and pack all your meat back out. But you can also go to Kansas and you could land a plane anywhere in the state of Kansas. I don't, even a big plane would mm. probably just pick a farm field, might lose its landing gear. And <laughs> it's just, it's just flat. You know what I mean? There's a few Creek bottoms and things like that. But um, so we, we have such a varied thing. I, my, like I said, my only view of your I'm not coming there to small game hunt until I can find some flat ground. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, and I probably, it, it is, there is some, there's hunting here so, available for anyone of any uh, fitness levels, I suppose. But it's, it is hilly. There's, there's not, you're not going to find, you know, massive plains um, everywhere. And some of the best hunting is in the tops. And unfortunately, you've just got to get up there. Can you tell us if I was going to come your way? And it's it's in my list of things to do. So, Ron, I'm heading over the U.S. and I'm wanting to go on a hunt, or two, or three, or actually maybe make a time of it while I'm over there. What do I need to know? Well, you I think you just need to know that um, wherever you go could entail a whole lot of. I'm not sure how it is there. A whole lot of driving once you get there. Hmm. You know, you I've been to places where. Even when I've I, a couple times I have gone, I shouldn't say I never use a guide. I have used a couple guides on occasion. Just getting to the guide's place may be just part of your trip. 
<laughs> you know, you could you could have a two hour um, cow path ride to get back. Like in I hunted Wyoming this year, hmm. and I probably won't go back because I don't want to spend two hours bumping down a road, back and forth and up and down just to get to my hunting area. You know, now some people that doesn't bother them at all. I want to get out and start walking. Um, so depending on the game species you want to go for, um, there could be just a lot of travel after you travel all the way over here. Right. And, I'm, uh, I'm very lucky where I live. I'm about half an hour out of the Kaimanawa Ranges because uh, I am I'm very central. I've got the Poirua Forest. I've got Reds. I've got Japs. I've got or, or Seeker Deer. I've got I'm very fortunate. I'm very close. And in fact, I, I believe I live in the gateway to the best hunting in the North Island. But the South Island, I think, can be a little bit like that, you know, drive for a very long time just to start right. your hunt, you know. Just to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that would be one thing you could expect. Um, I think you'd at least be uh, very happy in the fact that you'd be welcomed, you know, when you go out to an area to hunt out here. I think you'd, you'd find that it was pretty much like like you were telling me about New Zealand, a lot of hunters. Mm. When you're going to go to one of the states that are heavy-duty in hunting, you will see on all of our, our taverns, I don't know what you – do you call a tavern a tavern or a uh, gin? A pub, there? yeah. A pub? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so you got that from, from London then. Okay. <laughs> um, you will see, like, our biggest beers are, of course, our Budweiser and Miller Lite for our, our, our big beers, you know, our, our, our very watered-down popular beers to drink. Yeah. Every – Every tavern and every small town out west will have billboards sponsored by Budweiser or Miller. Welcome hunters. Welcome hunters. And the motels, uh, hunters' room rates. Um, very, they make a lot of their money. It's like a department store makes their money at Christmas. Hmm. A lot of these small towns in, I'm going to say, west of the Mississippi, just rely on that hunting community and those hunters to come in. So I think you'd find that a real welcome, at least. And then after that, you know, availability of uh, ammunition and guns. If your gun breaks, we have plenty of that. You know, we don't. You're, you're not at a. You're not at a loss for uh, for finding some ammunition for your gun. Hmm. We have. Uh, we're. It's so spread out here. I, I. I feel embarrassed. I don't know the size of New Zealand as compared to what size that would be. What chunk of our country that would be? But it's gonna be tiny. Well, like California and Nevada, maybe, or something. I'm trying to picture it. I, I should have got a map and done some research, Steve. But yeah, I yeah. I'm, I'm feeling like your prep maybe wasn't as onto it as it could have been. <laughs> right, right. Especially when I speak about what do, what do you expect when you come here, um, you know. So, so getting back to dog hunting, uh, particularly over there, or maybe just dog hunting in general, because this is foreign to me, if I was to take a dog, say I owned a dog and I trained it, I think isn't the training the important part? <clears throat> it's certainly training. Training is the important part, but buying the dog from a kennel that hunts their dogs and you got that, that gene pool in there, you got the natural instincts of those dogs. Short of that, I've got friends of mine that hardly ever teach their dog to sit, stay, and woe. But when you're out in big open country, as long as the dog has cooperation and it's connected to you, you really don't have a lot of issues with it. Mm. It's more when you're hunting with other people you don't know, you're going to want a dog that's got better manners, that listens better. Um, if you're going to hunt in some areas where it's smaller areas like 40 or 50 or 100 acre lot, you don't want that dog that's going to run under the fence and go to the next town or the next farm. 
So in those regards, yeah, you're going to want a better obedient dog, but it, it doesn't take a lot to train a bird dog. It, it takes a lot of time to just bring out what's natural in it. But the best thing you can do is to just put as many days, days in the field with that dog. You'd just be surprised how it just, it just works. It's not that difficult. Um, if, if you, I always tell everybody, if you can raise a kid that you're proud of, that, that doesn't embarrass you, then you could probably raise a, a bird dog. And probably, probably like children, every now and then there's a lemon in the bunch, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's very un-PC, spot. but I don't care. <laughs> every, <laughs> I'm not very PC. Um, every once in a while, dogs like kids need a good swat on the ass, you know. And, uh, See, that's even and, more un-PC here because that's illegal in New Zealand. It is. Mm, yeah, well, not on the dog, but certainly on the kid. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think that's technically if somebody saw you nowadays giving your kid a swat, I don't know if it's illegal, but I, I know it would raise some eyebrows in some areas. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it certainly is illegal here, and let's not go down that debate. No, um, we won't. Because I'll, I'll get hate mail. I get enough of that as it is. A couple, Our bonus show that we did last week was about the anti-hunting movement. And the interesting thing is we don't really have one here. There's a few people that get a little bit negative about hunting in general. But I think Kiwis are so – even if you lived in the middle of our largest city, Auckland, you've seen sheep, you've seen farms, you understand that that's kind of reality of life, that meat comes from from animals. And some people make the choice to be vegetarian, but they can they kind of keep to themselves. They're very much in the minority, I believe. Um, cue more hate mail, I suppose. But what I'd like to know, is it a strong group over there? Is there any, you've got a podcast, you're in the public forum. Can you tell us a bit about that in the United States? It's, it, it, there is a strong anti-hunting here, but it's, it's, it's just a very loud minority of people. Um, I would almost say they have no real clout, um, but they make a lot, they get a lot of press. They really get a lot of press. And so we are forced sometimes to defend ourselves here, you know, or in, in one thing we certainly have to do, we have to, as hunters, we have to put on our best behavior. Um, you know, that old, that old saying, you know, where everybody says, Oh, you you got some old rednecks driving down their pickup truck, driving down the road. That probably still happens. Maybe, in Alabama, now I'm going to get some hate mail. But, <laughs> Fantastic, but you're you're just not going to see that everywhere. Um, it does. It's nothing that really affects my life, and I don't think it affects most hunters. It, but it's a it's a strong movement, and I think our one of our worst ones is the fact that we have Hollywood here, hmm. and there's a lot of celebrities and a lot of musicians here that are real active hunters. And I won't even give you their names just because I don't want their Twitter feeds to blow up. And I know some personally, um, they are really, it's so politically correct that hunting just falls in with all their political correct, correct ideas. It's almost like they don't target hunting. Um, the other thing I know that some of our States and it's, and it's the States with the bigger populace, like Los Angeles for California, New York, New York, and, the bigger cities in the in in those states, they're starting to do things like um, stopping the hunting of bears and lions with dogs, and a lot of lion hunters and bear hunters. There's there's territory here where you could not go pursue a bear without a dog. There's no spot and stalk. There's no open area big enough. These are heavy, dense, mountainous woods, and what happens is there's not enough people in that state that want to 
or, or that care enough about the bear hunters so they don't go to the voting ballot. And then these ballots come up during an election and all of a sudden, boom, this state lost its ability to hunt game with big game with a dog. And then you get the small game hunters like me who who are like, you know, I, I, I'm guilty. I did not jump into the fray and get my legislator on the phone. Now, they don't do that in Michigan. We haven't had that problem. But I know in Maine they did. And as, as dog hunters, we, we need to stick together because it's just they're, they're chipping away at our ability to do what we want to do with our free time. Mm. And so when people say, let's stop bear hunting, you get a lot of people to go to the voting belts. And say, yeah, that sounds bad. Right now, they're not saying anything about duck hunters with their, their retrievers or bird hunters with their pointers. But I think that day could come if we don't pay attention to it. Do you think that hunters and and I and the same thing happens here, but a lot of hunting media, and I'm talking about uh, other podcasts. I'm hopefully not mine, although I'm, I'm probably guilty of this as well. Aren't doing themselves any favors whatsoever. I mean, the one we see from the states a lot here is Duck Commander, and some oh. of the stuff that goes on. <laughs> I knew you'd do that. Uh, some of the stuff that goes on there to me is almost cringeworthy. But the other part of it is that it's actually really helped the sport as well. You know, we've we're very fortunate. We've had a good run. Um, duck duck shooting in New Zealand, I think, is possibly going through a revival because of it. But then as someone who is passionate about our sport and our craft, I don't necessarily think that it does us any favours either. Does that happen over there? Yeah. I, I mean, when you say, you know, Duck Dynasty, that I, I, I had, believe it or not, I had so many friends of mine the minute that show came out. And, and I used to see those boys in their old videos 20 years ago. Hmm. You know, when they had their duck call company and they they're just out there shooting ducks. And I actually watched a few of them and it was it was entertaining. But I had people, I mean, Facebook message me and email me and Ron, you gotta watch Duck Dynasty. Oh, you're gonna love this show. And I watched one episode and I'm thinking, these I thought these people were my friends. They don't know me. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't think it put hunters in any good light, but it certainly didn't put them in a bad light. But it did kind of, I think it kind of revived some of that, I don't want to shave in the morning and I want to go hunting attitude. Um, I'd like them to, I'd, I wish that show with its, with the, the ratings that show got, I wish they'd have painted it in a better light, to be honest with you. Mm, I'm a bit the same. And we're very fortunate. We've got some good, uh, good TV shows that are coming. And we've had a couple go to air very recently. Over the, I, I was amazed to hear you say you've got three channels dedicated to our sport. Right, right. Um, yeah, there's Pursuit, Outdoor, and Sportsman's. And I think there might even be a smaller one. And it, it's 24 hours a day, pretty much, pretty much hunting. And but the problem with that is they fill in a lot of shows that they're pretty, pretty a lot of self-produced shows. Like a guy like me, I own a small company. Could I afford to get a cameraman to come with me and do a couple hokey shows? Yeah, I could. And I could get them on that television show probably, but that network is not paying me to do it. You're basically buying time from them. So right. there's a good portion of shows like that, but they're getting all they're getting better all the time. They really are getting better all the time. In fact, there's a new one coming out. And I know this guy hunts in New Zealand and guides in New Zealand. Did you ever hear of Remy Warren? Mm. Yeah, I do know that name. Yeah, and he's just got a new show comes out this Thursday, yeah, and it's it's called Apex Predator. I'm looking forward to that. 
because the production company that does that is a really high-end production company. Um, I don't know what the show is going to be like. I saw a little clip of it. It's it certainly, it's certainly, I think it's, it's probably not going to turn a lot of people onto hunting, but it's probably going to get a lot of hunters attention. Mm. I think, I think it'll be enjoyable. I really do. So we're 27 minutes into this podcast now, and I think it's time to turn it around and it's your turn to ask me a few questions. You know, the, the, um, I, I find this part of any, I've been in this situation a couple of times. I find this hard. So it's time to, for you to challenge me, ask me some questions. Well, I already know you don't own a sporting dog, so mm-hmm. that's going to kind of limit a few of my questions. Um, did you did you get into uh, hunting as a as a child? There, did you start? Uh, did you start out as a kid or as an adult? Probably the when best it came thing. To hunting. Yeah. Okay. So I, I didn't have uh, my mum was solo mum. My father died when I was uh, was quite young, and so for me there wasn't that. And my mum, my mother wasn't a hunter, or it still isn't a hunter. So for me, I didn't have it from a very, very young age. But what I did have is scouts. I was involved with scouting. And mm-hmm. I think what that did, and I'm very passionate about the scout movement because I think it gives youth a really good foundation in the outdoors. So I was very lucky to have a good, solid foundation in in, in going into the bush and or up into the hills and feeling comfortable with that. And I think for me, hunting just came naturally. It was the next step after that. And I think I've said on the show before, by no means do I consider myself an expert hunter. You know, I don't sit at the top of my field. What I am very good at, though, is facilitating a story. And I think that hunters in general find that quite hard. And theatre of the mind, which is what we've engaged in here, is actually quite a different art to tv we don't have a picture to tell a thousand words every word has to be spoken and i enjoy that um so i suppose what i'm doing here is giving hunters that other aren't necessarily good at getting their story out there the opportunity to do that and along the way i'm becoming a better hunter so this has been a growing experience for me as well when with without or without the regulated seasons which just still blows my mind out there <laughs> yeah. How often do you go out and, and try to get a deer or, or some geese or ducks? Or I know you mentioned in one podcast you kind of just starting with some duck hunting, right? Yeah. Look, but duck hunting is regulated. Out there. Yeah. So duck hunting is regulated. It's six months of the uh, sorry, six weeks of the year uh, at the moment. The duck season can lengthen and shorten. I suppose. Look, I'm I'm very lucky. We've just had a thing here. You probably haven't heard of it called daylight savings, where we turn our clocks back an hour so we get more time. Um, right. while while the sun is out and I could finish work at 5.30 or 5 o'clock and get in my car and drive in and because I'm very close to the bush I could go out after work and get a two or three hour four hour hunt in so very very wow. fortunate um, I, I generally try and get out three times a month that's my, my rule of, of thumb right. you know if I can get out three times a month I'm doing well unfortunately you know my wife and I own a business plus I I have a full time job life's hectic man you know so i don't get out as much as i like but i do get out um probably more than more than some because i live in a in a very beautiful part of the country which has gives me access to hunting very quickly right well and plus with the podcast you're going to get more and more invites to go more and more times probably yeah and i don't take up (laughs) as many of them as i want to um and again it's just a time thing and i hate saying that that you know i don't have time um, well, it's true for everybody, though. Yeah. Everybody says that, you know. The flip side, how often do you manage to get out? Um, as much as my wife will allow me. <laughs> and most of the time, she doesn't know I'm hunting. 
<laughs> so, um, no, I, I can get out. I could probably get out about a hundred days a year if I wanted to, if I wanted to try, but now that, that starts out with, um, we have a, our September 1st would be the kickoff of our deer of our dove season, our, our, our morning dove season. And that is like a huge, huge tradition in the Southern States and some States it's not allowed to dove hunt, but in the Southern States, and I've been living in Virginia off and on for over a dozen years, that's like our first, that's our first hunting, you know, but it's really a social event. It's around a sunflower field or a, a cornfield that was picked. And you can use dogs for it. You do find a lot of other people's birds with your dog. Um, I'll go home many times well over my limit because I've shot my limit. And then my dog goes out and picks up ones that other people's dogs can't find later on. But um, so if you count all those afternoons of dove hunting and, and just hour walks for a grouse, maybe, mm. you know, I, I'm out there a hundred days a year, but not a hundred days of hard hunting, hmm. maybe three, three to four weeks of where I'm on a trip yeah. specifically. Just now, how far do you travel? I mean, you travel, you can travel close to home. Hmm. Do you, do you take any longer journeys there in New Zealand? For- oh, oh yeah. So if I do some South Island hunting and I haven't done that for a little while and uh, I know there's a lot of very passionate hunters that listen to our show or my show in the South Island and that's South Island I think is as a whole nother kettle of fish it's it's such a beautiful place so that that's a that's a flight and a and a long drive and uh, yeah. I, I you know want to do more of that but i'll travel a couple of hours um there's a there's a hunting spot i quite often frequent which is an hour and a half drive from where i am so and, I, and i'll do that on an afternoon i'll leave work at five and go out drive an hour and a half there hunt until until dark and then drive home um yeah. but yep. i just want to back this truck up a little bit back to dove hunting <laughs> Do you mm-hmm. eat them? Do you eat doves? Oh, yes. They're, what do you, what do, you do just, with a dove? Well, not much. <laughs> <laughs> you, you basically put your thumb by their vent and crack that whole breast right out of it, and it is just delicious. I mean, you need – you can shoot 15 a day in, in, in most states, and if you were really hungry, you'd eat probably 14 of them. Okay? So um, it's really more for me – it's a real great retrieving and, and uh, training exercise for my dog. He has to, very much like a duck blind, he has to sit and remain calm, not move around. The doves, you, their doves are not as wary as a duck as far as they're coming in eyesight. They're really much coming in to feed. That, that field you're hunting in is pretty much like your duck decoy spread, you know, but we don't have to set the spread up. The, right. the food's there. So... If you get up and move around a lot, yeah, they're going to flare. But it's a great way to get your dog warmed up. Um, he's got to mark the down birds. You send him on his retrieves. Um, my dog's mouths are so big. I've seen him come back with two or three doves in his mouth, and you could barely see the wings coming out, you know, or the feet coming out of the dog's mouth. Um, but as far as edible, they're, they're one of my favorite things to eat, one of my favorite birds. In fact, for new hunters, um, it's a great sport for kids and new hunting because you can pretty much just sit on a little milk crate or a, or a lawn chair even and get some cover around you and get that kind of get that gun handling and gun exposure done. And you kind of keep an eye on that person. And everyone's pretty much pointing away from everybody else by pointing at the center of a field. And it's pretty safe for new hunters, too. So it's got a lot of advantages to it. So hang on. What are you, what are you shooting these things with? I mean, are, the, are you shooting it's with those shot- little... What's that? Shotguns, shotgun shells. 
Oh, okay. So you're shooting them with yeah. with shotgun. So, because oh, yeah. I just for some reason imagined you had those little rimfire twenty two things with the oh, no. with the bird shot. You know the little Smurf vibrator things. You oh, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're no, shooting no, them with just... a what a four ten or was it what what well, a twelve gauge? If you want to be, it depends on how good you are, I guess. If uh, if you're a good shot, you're probably going to go down to a twenty gauge. If you're if you're a really good shot, you're going to go down to a twenty eight gauge. And if you're going to show off, you'll use a 410. But most people bring a 12-gauge autoloader out there, and they go through at least, I'm telling you, at least three boxes of shells, so 75 shells, I'll bet you is the average to get 15 birds in the bag. Because these are little birds, man. I don't know. It's a very little bird. In fact, in Michigan, they're considered a songbird, and they're not allowed to be hunted. And then in most states of the country, they're they're in fact, I think somebody told me recently, as far as game, there's more dove taken than any other game species in the United States. Okay, it's a lot of birds. See, this is this is something I wasn't, I, I was aware of people dove hunting, but for some reason I thought it was, I had an image of it was something that kids did. Um, yeah, and and it probably is for the farmers' kids. You know, they just walk around down the road and. You know, doves fly up, getting grit off the road. They fly up and boom, they drop a couple doves, and they yeah. learn to they learn to skin them out and go home and cook them. And um, but it it's really a huge social event for the opening weekend down. It's just unbelievable. I don't know. You know, there's a question I want to ask you about our, our deer season up here in Michigan, and especially the Upper Midwest. Not so much the West, but the Upper Midwest, the Great Lake region. It's it's always referred to as deer camp. And it, tons of people will go take a week off work. I know people who go up there, might go out in the morning. They might be too hungover to go out in the morning. They go out in the afternoon and hunt. They don't. There's guys that go that don't get deer for years and years. But it's a total social seeing your brother, your uncle, your cousin. Is there anything similar to that in New Zealand? At a guess, I would say duck shooting. Would it be more like that then? Yeah, so you go to your Mai Mai with, with your mates and it's a ritual almost a religion um, to do that at that time of the year. Opening weekend is a big deal. Um, right. And maybe during the roar um, no, or, or the say, bugle. What's, what's the roar? Would that be the rut, what we call the rut, the roar? Yeah, when the, the old deer are roaring. Yeah. Where, when they're where, looking for a mate. Yeah, yeah, that time of the year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're getting yeah. them when they're vulnerable, eh? Um, but right. no, the, that that time of the year, there's there's certainly an increase of hunters, a, a extraordinary increase of hunters. In fact, our roar is just starting to kick off right now, um, right. and the bugle, which is what we do with the wapiti. But um, yeah, probably duck shooting. Duck shooting's the closest thing I can think of. If listeners have anything they'd like to add to that, please do. But uh, I, I suspect that that duck shooting is the closest thing we have to that. Very much this big ritual of people like, coming yeah, together. Like yeah. Somebody would go to another person's plate. Now you call it a Mai Mai? Yeah. That would be the blind itself or the camp or what would the Mai Mai be? The Mai Mai is like the, the duck blind, yeah. Duck blind. But it's a okay. bit bigger than that. Some of them have bunks in them and stuff, you know. Right. Yeah, we, we have some like that where you can park a boat right underneath them too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for us, you've got to tag them. They're on public land, so you tag it as right. yours. And I think that's so that, that process is similar. Kind of similar. That is a very similar experiences we do in the states with the duck hunting then hmm. but yeah our, our big game hunting it, it's great the deer camps uh there it's just in the state of michigan it, it opens on november 15th so it could be a saturday if you're lucky it could be a tuesday 
And you will see for three and four days before the 15th of November, campers and uh, in pickup trucks loaded with gear, loaded with four-wheelers. I, I mean, it's just a constant stream of people from the bigger cities and the, the southern counties heading up north over the bridge, as they say, up to the upper peninsula of Michigan and northern Michigan. And it is, it is just – it's really a – a drinking fest to be honest with a drinking and card fest mm. with a little hunting mixed in yeah the the drinking thing around duck shooting here is a culture that i, I think it's there in fact i allude or, or talked about it when i was with um with mike at his my my a couple of weeks ago but i think it's a culture that's changing um it's certainly not necessarily an acceptable thing to to be drinking around firearms and it still happens but um right i, I feel that culture has changed somewhat would you say no? I mean, I, we we have the same culture here. You will not get anybody to admit that they had a a drink in the morning and went out and duck hunted. But after the hunt, is that, you know, you've probably seen a lot of books, and I'm sure you see things online. The alcohol culture here, with the hunting after, there's always like after the hunt. Mm. There, you know, is is that a culture there too, yeah. or is it more? Is it? Yeah. Like, would would you and your buddy come back from a a hunt and then sit down and open up a box of beer or a bottle of uh, bourbon or something. And yeah, yeah. Tell the perfect example is, is right behind me. You you can see me on Skype. So the studio behind me here is is right. a, a garage and opening the door and showing you. And the other night we bought an animal home. We had to skin it in bits and pieces, and there was certainly a beer cracked open for that. Um, but firearms were away, and you, you know it had got to. Yeah, it was a different. There was two different modes. The hunt had finished. The firearms were away. It was time for a beer. Um, right. And I think that that's something that necessarily didn't happen in the past, but is is certainly the way things are going. Right. Is what would you what would you attribute that to? Um, polit- PC political correctness, or just younger hunters coming up and were just not the drinkers and drivers our fathers were, or, you know. I yeah, mean- look, the drinking driving thing is really interesting. The The drinking limit for driving in New Zealand now is 200 milligrams per litre of uh, blood, um, or whatever it is. It's 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 very, very, very low. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, that's basically one beer, and that's that's your lot really? to, to drive. So I think, I think there's been a change in the way people drink. That's not to say we don't have a drinking problem here, because we absolutely we absolutely do people drink and get snotted and um right all those great youtube videos come from that <laughs> um yeah. but but uh, but no it's i think that the drinking around firearms that culture is changing and and rightly so but uh it still goes on yeah no i, I would say you know i in fact this is kind of a funny story i i hope and you said you don't edit but i'll tell you the story <laughs> I, I was grouse hunting a few years ago and when we grouse hunt here we're not on the mountains or anything in, in, in this particular area, but it's, it's hilly country. And to, to shoot a rough grouse, I, I don't think you guys have a grouse ver- or a, a b- version of that, do you? Well, tell, tell us what it is first. Well, a grouse would be a ground, a ground nesting bird, flies very, very fast when it's flushed. Uh, it's about a 12 to 15 inch tall bird when it's walking. Um, very tasty, very edible meat, very, it's in the pheasant family. Okay, but yep. it's it's yep. the pheasant is the a pheasant is not a grouse, but a pheasant is in that family. Okay, and so quite often, you know, we'll we'll walk one or two hours. We get back to the truck to go to what we call a cover, a new spot, and we'll go into the cooler and we'll have a sandwich or some nuts, 
and we'll down a beer. And then we drive 20, 30 minutes, go to another favorite spot, and we hunt for an hour or whatever. We stop, and we have another beer. And that is kind of a, I don't want to say real typical, but it's really not frowned on. Mm. And I was pulled over by a policeman as I came over the crest of a hill. And I'd been hunting all day, and I, I don't really remember how many beers I had. Probably three total from three different stopped hunts. So we're really talking an hour or so in between or better. And, and I'm, I can drink quite a few beers and, and handle it pretty well. But um, the, he pulled me over for speeding, told him I was in a hurry to get back to camp. We're in a primitive camp. We're in a tent camp. I got to get my dogs fed. And I, I really apologize. And he said, well, that's fine. He said, have you been drinking? And I said, well, I mean, yes and no. He said, well, what do you mean yes and no? And I said, well, when we get done grouse hunting, you know, we'll have a beer and then we'll go on and go grouse hunt again. He goes, how many grouse hunts have you been on today? <laughs> so, and I assured him that it wasn't a lot. And he actually gave me a roadside sobriety test, which I passed with flying colors. But I don't think our limit's that close as yours is. That, no. that, I could see where that would, that would, it would certainly change my habits. Mm. You know, and, I would have to just say, hey, I'm not going to risk that over and, a beer. And a drink driving charge over here isn't a ticket. It's actually a prosecution. You end up with a criminal record. So it's... Right. It's pretty and, and severe. You do hear you do hear too if you're if you're really prosecuted and you're really in bad shape. You could right. you know, you could get in some serious trouble. But mm. it's it's the drinking like if you read any of the old authors from America that, that talked about New England grouse hunting, <clears throat> there isn't one of them that doesn't talk about their favorite brand of scotch. Mm. And at the end of the day, their dog is by the hearth and their 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 yep. glass of scotch is, you know, and uh I would, that's why I was curious if that's pretty much the same there or 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 not. Yeah, know? look, I think I think there's definitely some similarities, and we are all in that fraternity that is hunting, and and I suppose that some of us uh, that, that there is some things that are common. I think in every single country, I just think maybe the culture here is just slightly different. It's uh, and right. and maybe that's just around gun safety. You know, let's not be yeah. let's not be snotted and and firing uh, things around the place. You know, let's but never fits well. No, no, it's 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 always the start of a bad story, isn't it? So, look, I want a couple more questions before we call this interview. We're going forty six minutes now, so this is getting to be a long show for mine, and and nearly as <laughs> okay. long as you need it to be for yours. So, come on, a couple more questions for me. Well, um, if if I were to go there, if mm. I were to take a trip to New Zealand, as far as again being an upland game hunter, um, I I know you have a duck season. Mm-hmm. What would you see? Uh, as far as ground animals, do you have a rabbit population? Do you have a, do you have pheasants there? Do you have some game birds that you would hunt with a scatter gun or a shotgun like I would? Yeah, absolutely. But all the game birds are in sea, are on a season. There's rabbits bloody everywhere. They're a real problem. Um, no one talks about hunting rabbits. You shoot rabbits, I suppose. It's uh, uh-huh. they they can't do much about it. Um, but yeah, if you wanted to come over here and, and get rabbits, although turkeys are open season, you can do what you like to them. Stinky horrible bloody things so um and and there's plenty of them around mainly on the edge of farmland and stuff but if you wanted to come over here and and smash over some turkeys uh go nuts how are your uh back in the day here it was very easy to just knock on a farmer's door um introduce yourself ask permission to hunt on their land and quite frequently when i started hunting 40 years ago i rarely ever got the word no you know Mm -hmm. from a farmer 
what is it like on private land to ask permission to go hunting there in New Zealand? A little bit. I think it depends who you know, not what you know. Um, you're always better to ask because poaching is a terrible thing to do. And, and although it happens, um, trail cams and, and technology are now making that far less uh, appealing, and that's great. Um, but there's no excuse for it here either. There's, there's lots of public land, I suppose. But if you're wanting to hunt on private land, you do need to ask permission and you will get no. Some people don't want hunters, and it's often hunters' own fault. Someone's ruined it for the rest of us. And others, right. it's because they like to hunt it, and they want to preserve their bit of the world to to hunt for themselves. So I'm very fortunate. I've got a lot of places I can go on a private land and hunt. Um, but there's no excuse. There's plenty of private, uh, public land sorry, that you can hunt on free of what, charge. And, and, and that public land would have the various terrains, mm. or is it one... Yep. One yeah. steep topographic mess there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. To be fair, there's there's lots of terrains and uh, and and very very beautiful. You know, we're we're very lucky, and you've got some beautiful places there too. Um, I think we're just we're a little bit bathed in, in beauty when we're in the New Zealand bush. There's also some scraggy, horrible bits too, and sometimes they're good hunting. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw some of your stuff on television where they tar hunt. Down it the did South not Island. Look like an, did not look like an area I wanted to traips up and down at all but yeah and those little suckers just go up and up and up but they're only in the south island there's only one north island herd of tar and they're captive so no the south island uh, tar hunting is definitely an experience and not one i've been fortunate enough to try so again that's on my list of, of things to try in the very near future right hmm. what would be uh are you guys really big on using every piece of the, i mean do you have like a wanton waste law with your your game, I mean, could a person literally take off the cuts he wanted and leave it lay, or is that against the law? Like in many states here, it's against the law to leave any edible meat hmm. short of organs on the ground. What's it like there? No, there's no laws like that whatsoever. Um, there's ethics, and I try and carry out as much as I possibly can and generally try mm -hmm. and carry out the whole animal and, and either get that butchered or butcher it myself. Um, but there's some places, as you described, that are really hilly and you're only going to take out the back stakes and the desirable cuts. Um, right. Mm, I'd like to think that most people take the entire animal out when they do. Right. How true that is, I, I really don't know. I think most hunters I hunt with want to take out the whole animal where possible. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, where possible. How about your I know your firearms regulations? We talked a little bit before we started recording. If you said I could come over there with a shotgun or a, a rifle, and and it, that's not a real encumbrance, is there a lot of you know what like what we call a hardware store? Is there a lot of places to get ammunition and and get gear and extra? You, if you forget all your gear, do you have what we call Cabela's and Gander Mountain? Do you have the? Yeah, we have our hunting and fishing stores uh, around the country, and you just got to make sure that the caliber that you bring over is one that's widely used here, because you might have trouble getting some of the unusual calibers or some of right. the ammunition for some of the unusual calibers. But at large, you'll find anything's available here, and it's actually easier not to bring ammo over and buy it here. Um, yeah. Just I think the rules around ammo and bringing those into the country are a little bit harder than actually bringing in firearms, ironically. Um, one of our big things is, of course, we're allowed to suppress our firearms here, and, and you are right. not. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's I can't imagine needing it for, although it wouldn't be bad for a shotgun at times. It wouldn't hurt, wouldn't, wouldn't hurt me any to have a, a little suppression when I'm listening to the duck, you know, the guns going off. Will they use that when they duck hunt too, or they do shotguns with just some earplugs in? Or 
Yeah, yeah, no, duck hunting, you're not suppressing shotguns, but definitely center fires and rim fires. Yeah. Uh, as, and I think it's becoming more common than not now to have them suppressed. It's easier on your ears, it's easier, it's better for hunting, um, and there's, there's left, less barrel lift as well. Yeah, I could imagine that, especially for those people who don't practice enough or you make a bad shot, mm. I could, that would really, um, I know I shot a, a caribou up north of the Brooks Range up in Alaska about five years ago and I was laying on the ground taking the shot and I really could have used a suppressor then because my first two shots were, were clean misses and luckily the caribou that moved out it stopped again and I put a stalk on it again and got down low and I, and I, I did manage to get it on the third shot but that would be handy as heck I, I, I think we should uh Maybe I should start a campaign here in this country for uh, suppressors. And look, just a suppressed firearm isn't going to necessarily be any more dangerous in a in a criminal's hand than a non-suppressed firearm. I don't think. I, I really I struggle with the logic, but understand how it all started. Look, it's been it's been a great interview, Ron, and thank you very much for getting in contact with me. Let's do this again sometime, eh? I'd love to. I'd love to, and I thank you for your time. And I'm sorry, I. Thought I woke you up at 3.30 in the morning, but apparently you said you were up and doing some work, huh? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, I live one of those type of lives. And look, if you ever get the chance to get out to New Zealand, we'll get you out into some um, decent hunting out in the hills that surround us here in the beautiful central North Island, but maybe even in the South Island. And I'd maybe do the same back to you. I would love to do it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Stephen. No worries. Well, that's us for another week of The Hunting Show. That was a bit longer. We were trying to fit in with Ron's format as well. It's so an extended hour-long or just under an hour-long podcast from The Hunting Show this week. We've got some great stuff coming up, heading into the raw and duck shooting. So please stay tuned for the next couple of weeks. Be careful out there. There's a lot of people hunting, and we don't want to see any more accidents this year. Be careful. Good hunting. Podcasting from an undisclosed location, from a secret hunting spot known only to him, and the guy who told him about it, and possibly the guy who told the guy who told him. It's a show all about hunting in New Zealand and around the globe. This is The Hunting Show. Find The Hunting Show on Facebook and Twitter for up-to-date information on upcoming shows and topics.